I've said in the past, there are people who think that Dayenu is the high point. Because, no, because you, everybody can sing it. You don't have to sing the words. You could just, la, 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 la. And that, you know, does it. But I'm not yet of that persuasion. I wanted to say something about the Haggadah. This week we'll learn the Haggadah a little bit, and next week. And uh, so I'll tell you. Like, where, where, where does the Haggadah start? Where, where's the beginning of it? I mean, of course, you know, some people might think that the beginning is on the first page. But we know better than that. That's why the Gemara, when they printed the Shas, they started with that bed. So you could always say, where's the beginning? Like, what happened to it? Where is it? It disappeared. So the beginning. But you imagine an idea, you know, printers sitting around, and there's nothing to do, and they say, what should we do that could really be remarkable? And they say, well, start from that bet. That, that'll do it. No one will ever forget that we did that. We started from that bet. At the same time, they printed the riff as a separate volume. The riff... Al-Fasi of Yitzhak Al-Fasi Yitzhak Al-Fasi he, he uh, was the uh, th- there was a whole series of people who didn't like the Gemara they all thought there was just too much of it too much of Gemara and they had devised different ways to cut it down so the riff the way he cut it down was that he left out he printed the Gemara but he erased everything that he thought was not important and it came out to be somewhat shorter but when they printed the riff, it looked just like the Gemara. Right? The riff was in the middle, and around the side, one side they put Rashi, they took the Rashi from the Gemara, more or less. And the other side they printed various um, more expansive commentaries, sometimes the Ran, sometimes the Yosef. So anyway, the riff they started from Dr. Aleph. If you look at the printed version, you see the Gemara always starts from Dr. Bet, and the riff always starts on the, uh, from Daf Aleph. So in this competition between the Gemara and the riff, the Gemara won. Because it starts from Daf Bet. Everybody wants to know what happened to Daf Aleph, you know. <laughs> but the riff starts from Daf Aleph, so nobody wants to know. So back to our question. <coughs> Where's the beginning of the Haggadah? Where does the Haggadah really start? And where are there perhaps additions to the Haggadah? So the answer to the question is in the Mishnah. In the Mishnah, which is not printed here, but I can tell you what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says, the Mishnah says, Matfil Bignut, Umisayem Bishvach. That's what the Mishnah says. It's kind of a code. You start with something negative. And you finish with something positive. So I guess when, the, when they composed this Mishnah, when they wrote the Mishnah down, everybody knew what they were talking about. Like it could have been there were 50 different things that you could have said. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe 30 different things. Like people, different people said different things. It was not there like a controlled substance, the Sifu Yitziat Mitzrayim. People said... You know, people who knew about Torah, they said whatever they thought you're supposed to say. So within that large variety of stuff that you might say, there was a group of things that were matchil bignut and 
And that's a Tanaitic statement, right? Tanaim, like the earliest record that we have of Judaism, so to speak, after the Tanakh, is Tanaim. Okay, there's a little bit here and there before the Tanaim, like Sefer Yovlot, but it's very small, very little. The Tanaim is really, you got a lot of, a lot of material about what the Jewish people are talking about. So the Tanaim said, Matchil bignut umisayen Now that apparently rang a bell in people's, you know, ears. They understood what that meant. They knew that within all this complex uh, material that exists to do the mitzvah of Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, to tell the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, some of the material fell into the category of Matchil Bignut Misayim Mishvach. So they already, they knew that they had to choose, that they had to take all of this material and cut it down to the type which is Matchil Bignut Misayim Mishvach. Then, in the world of the Amoraim, the first generation of Amoraim, Rav and Shmuel. Rav and Shmuel present themselves in the Gemara as explaining what Matchil Bignut Misayim Mishvach means. Rav says, Avadim Hayinu Mitzrayim. That's what we're supposed to, that's the story. The story of Sipur Yitziat, the story that we tell on the night of Yitziat Mitzrayim, is Avadim Hayinu Mitzrayim. Now that itself, apparently, was also a shortened form of a longer paragraph or a sentence. But Shmuel disagrees. And Shmuel says, Mitchila of day avodah zara ayu avotein. So these are the two stories that are, uh, that we're directed to say. Actually, I would imagine that Rav didn't say Shmuel's story. And Shmuel probably didn't say Rav's story. Each of them told a story on the night of Pesach. But we, because we're Machmir, we tell both stories. We tell both stories. We say we tell the story first of and then we tell the other story, Mitchila of De So I would say that from a larger number of possible stories that you might tell, like a larger number of stories, we've come down to two. And in order to tell the story, the mitzvah of Sipu Yitziat Mitzrayim, we've got to tell those two stories. They seem to be obligatory. You say obligatory to tell those stories in that, in those words. I mean, you have to change the words, but you have to tell those stories. And, and, and it's not true that you could substitute, and we will see this sure that you could substitute a story about tragedies of Biafra for this story. The mitzvah of Sipu Yitzhak Mitzrayim is this. That's what the mitzvah is. Yes, there's a lot of tragedy in the world. Tragedy that is comparable to, similar to, different from <coughs> the tragedy of the Jews enslaved, enslaved in Mitzrayim. But that's not the story that we're enjoying to tell. Nor are we supposed to tell the story that there are always bad people in the world who are making the good people miserable. That's an important story. But it's not the story of Pesach. The story of Pesach has 
great specificity from the earliest days through the Tanaim till the Emoraim. It was diluted, right? The story became condensed and condensed and condensed until you have these two grand ideas. Now, what are these two grand ideas? So, if you look at on the sheet, I mean, I don't know, it's amazing. You could put the whole, the whole Haggadah on a sheet. <laughs> you know, Manashevitz used to take them like 60 pages to, to make a Haggadah. <coughs> so, if you look on the first side of the page, I'm skipping. I'm skipping the four questions and we'll go back to it. You see, <coughs> in, in bold print it says, This is a, this is a Haggadah that understands what, what's really Pesach is about. So the stage directions for the, for the Seder are all in bold face, so you shouldn't miss out on them. But the actual text that you're supposed to say is just blessed. The whole thing looks the same. So you can't find it. But if you see the bold face line, after that line, the next line, is the story that we have to tell. And the story is this. We were slaves to Paro in Egypt. That's the story. <coughs> That's the story. So you know that that uh, the history of Am Yisrael in Mitzrayim is the history of the developing personality of Am Yisrael. And the thing about Am Yisrael that they had to learn in Mitzrayim, according to the story that I tell, I mean, every story is is multifaceted. There are all kinds of things happening all the time. There's the Moshe Rabbeinu story. Right? Do you remember Moshe Rabbeinu? Right? You know, the beginning of Shemot, Moshe Rabbeinu, he has his problems, he doesn't want to go, he doesn't want to go, he doesn't want to take them out, he doesn't want to take them out. There's the Moshe Rabbeinu story. Gone. There's no Moshe Rabbeinu story in the in, in Haggadah. In fact, except for an accidental reference in a Pasuk, the name Moshe doesn't even appear in the Haggadah. <coughs> what about the Miriam story for the feminists? She was also there. Wasn't she part of Yitzhak? <coughs> yes, she was, but she's not the story. Right, so of all the various stories that there might be, that you might tell, and you do tell them, we tell them at different times of the year, we learn the parashiyot. Shmod, Ve'er, B'Shalach are all parashiyot of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, we tell all these stories at that time. The Miriam story, the Moshe story, the Aaron story, but not on the night of Pesach. The night of Pesach, the story is about Am Yisrael. It's about the Jewish people. It's about formulating them. It's about <coughs> giving them a personality and a character which enabled them to be the, 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 uh, the bearers of the flag that they bear throughout history. So you see, Avadim Ayinu, that's what the whole process of Yitziat Mitzrayim, which is a process that contains endless miracles, endless miracles that we see in the Haggadah, it's of hundreds of miracles, <coughs> and we had an awareness of those miracles. What was the point? 
Why couldn't God just take us out of Mitzrayim like you blink, you close your eyes and you're someplace else? Why did they go through all this, this uh, trouble of, of Moshe talking to Paro and Paro talking to Moshe and Aaron translating and back and forth and starting it and stopping it and starting it and stopping it? What was that all for? It was all in order that people should understand that God is their protector. That God is concerned about them. Something that B'nai Yisrael had to learn. To us it seems kind of obvious. But obvious, you know, everything happens, you know, you, you, <coughs> you, you go to the left, the God goes to the right and say, Baruch Hashem, you know, like, we, we're into a kind of, uh, by rote attribution of all things to God. But that was not always a simple thing. It was not always obvious. It only became obvious to B'nai Yisrael in Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim, where you saw the hand of God again and again and again, until there was no doubt in anybody's mind that God was orchestrating this event. And since this event took place in Mitzrayim and not in Canaan, you couldn't say <coughs> that it was because this is the place of God or the place where God rules. You couldn't say that because it was all taking place it was all taking place in Mitzrayim, in a foreign place with another God, with another kind of leadership. And in those days, in those days apparently people had different kinds of beliefs in the power of God. And so if God told Avram Avinu to go to Eretz Canaan, it may be that he told him to go to Eretz Canaan because there, this God was dominant and not some other God. But they learned in Mitzrayim that the God of Avram Avinu was dominant every place in the world. This was a thing that had to be taught. It wasn't obvious. It was not obvious at all. Now if you look at the second, at the second story, we'll come back to the rest of the story in a minute. <coughs> I don't know how to say it. It's five inches up from the bottom. The first word on the line is Mitzvila of the Gazerah. I mean, actually, I like this kind of a thing where, you know, where the printing doesn't prejudice you. You know, like sometimes you take a book and so you say the stuff that's printed in big letters must be more important than the stuff that's printed in little letters. But that's not always the case, right? As I used to always daven when I, when I was a shalich, Sibur, I always daven with the Birimbaum Matzah. The Birimbaum Matzah is the only Matzah, including Art Scroll and Korah, the only master where every word is the same size. Mm-hmm. Right? And that was his idea. I mean, I knew him. I mean, he didn't know him, but I met him in shul. I said, why did you do that? He said, that's the way it is. Every word is of equal importance. I don't remember how it is in the English uh, high holiday services manual. But I think it's also pretty good. I think it's, I think it's mostly the same size. <laughs> okay, that's a different problem. <laughs> so look at the second story. The second story is Mitchila of Day of Odazarah Yorotayna. Rakshat Kervanu Akarishbohu Labodato. 
Mitchila of the Avodazara, the Rambam says that Avodazara was a natural development. It was something that happened to people because they made what the Rambam called a Ta'ut Gidola. There was an overwhelming error. Ta'ut Gidola means, I think, that you can't fix it. It's like you can, you can make a mistake sometimes, you're stuck in the mistake, there's no logical way that you can get out of it. What was the mistake that B'nai Yisrael made? B'nai Yisrael, not B'nai Yisrael, people, the, 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 the huma- humanity. Humanity said, yeah, God created the world, yes. God is in charge of the world, yes. All true. What's the Ta'ut Gidola? The Ta'ut Gidola, as they said, that if God appointed the moon to be in charge of the tides, if God appointed the sun to nourish us, to give us the warmth we need to exist, surely we should be thankful to the sun and to the moon. I mean, that's what God wanted. If not, God would have taken all of these powers to himself somehow. And then we would only have to thank God. This the Rambam calls a ta'ut gedola, And my understanding of a ta'ut gedola is that you can't fix it. If somebody says one plus one is three, you could explain to them that that's a mistake, that one plus one is necessarily two. So that's not a ta'ut gedola. But if you say, God, after all, wants me to recognize the power of the sun and the moon. So that's something that you can't argue against. The only, the only way to contradict that, ultimately, was to give the Torah. It was, if God says to B'nai Yisrael, I am God, I am speaking to you, this is what I have to say, don't worship idols. So that's the end of the discussion. That's fine. That I can understand. <coughs> so the Rambam said, you had to go through this phase of idolatry in order that to understand that you needed the Torah. Because if you didn't have idolatry in the world, you would have thought, oh, I would have figured that out. I could have done this. I could have been a good person. I could have done what God wants me to do. Either God didn't tell me what to do, which is what Chazal say about the Avot. The Chazal say that the Avot were able to intuit what God wanted. And it makes sense, you know, philosophically or Kabbalistically, that <coughs> if I am a piece of God somehow, if there's godliness in me, or if I can aspire to God, right? You know, you know about those Kabbalists, they really were thinking about being from, not doing from things, but being from. Well, it's not exactly the same thing. It's easy to do from things, it's hard to be from. But the Kabbalists wanted to be from. They wanted to connect to God. And so they had this struggle. You know, they were always thinking about is, is connecting to God a, a union, like it's like unique, like something else. Oh, connecting to God means you fight your way through this miserable world that we live in, and you beat down the bad a little bit here and a little bit there, and then you're uplifted. Right? That's what... <coughs> That's what the Kabbalists. That's what the Kabbalists had to say. So we have to we have to understand that sometimes there are things that we just can't figure out, and that's why there's a Torah. If not, if the Torah would have been given to other Marisha, if the Torah would have been given to Adam, yes, first as we would say, 
we know that we, we know that stuff I mean isn't that we walk around the garden and we, we talk to God and you know we do whatever God wants what do we need all this stuff for that's what we would have said so we had to live in a world where we proved to ourselves that we were not easily defended against our own shortcomings we needed the Torah so there was when B'nai got to Har Sinai they realized that they needed the Torah and they were willing to they were willing to stand quietly and to accept it whatever the Torah said because they knew that they were idolaters they knew that they were so Yitziat Mitzrayim <coughs> according to story number two right story number two Yitziat Mitzrayim is that event which enabled B'nai Yisrael which enabled B'nai Yisrael to recover from idolatry to become uh, uh, more reasonable to become more reasonable more understanding and especially to understand that in order to conquer idolatry they needed the Torah they needed the Torah to conquer so that was Yitziat Mitzrayim the second story of Yitziat Mitzrayim now if you look at that second story again you look at that uh, now, I, now I've lost it uh, don't worry. And now God has brought us close to His service. What does that mean? That God brought us close to His service. That we understand that only service of God, only God, right? What does that mean? What does that They cried out to God in Mitzrayim and they beseech God to take them out of Mitzrayim what does Vayaminu Bashem? it meant exclusively there was an exclusive belief because all the time as you see again and again in the stories even later stories that the Jews were, were they weren't confident they weren't 100% confident it was difficult for them to overcome who they were in the past it was difficult for them to overcome the Ta'ut I don't want to even mention, but I will mention anyway. You know, the, the Chaita Ego. The Chaita Ego, whether it is real idolatry or not really. You know, the Mephoshim have this kind of. They don't get it. You know, how could the Jews do it if it was idolatry? I mean, it's really uh, beyond belief. So, okay, technically, maybe it's not idolatry. But it comes from an idolatrous point in my, in my personality. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm not. <coughs> I don't understand if it's really true that God will take care of me. So here we are in that story, the second story. Your forefathers come from the eastern side of the river. Terach avi Avram vavi Nachor vayavdu Elohim acherim. Right, Terach. This is this is Yoshua uh, ben Nun talking, right? Yoshua ben Nun was the Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu, who received the Torah. As we saw, you know that that Yoshua ben Nun was was his compatriot, was Moshe Rabbeinu's fellow traveler, his liege. <coughs> he says. To B'nai Yisrael, he says to B'nai Yisrael, you guys are the children of Terach. What a terrible thing to say. 
What a terrible thing to say. You know, the Maharal said that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to, like, sort of be born. He, he birthed himself. And, and uh, he wasn't really the son of Terah. I mean, whatever. I, I'm just saying it's an issue. B'nai Yisrael didn't want to be the children of Terah. You may have noticed that in Shimon Esri says, Okay, Abraham, okay, God. What about Terah? Terah, nah. He's not anybody's father, except for Yoshua. They became idolaters. The Rabbanks, how did they become idolaters? Well, they, they, first they thought of the sun and the moon. And then they figured the sun and the moon need a building to stay in. And then they had a building, had a lot of room. So they said, okay, well, sun here, the moon here, here we'll do some statue, we'll put up a statue, we'll do something else, you know, we, we have to fill up uh, we, have to, we can't do, we have to rent out these rooms to somebody so we'll rent them out to other people so that's how, that's how idolatry got going got started from the sun and the moon but it developed into a into a business, like every good thing does right? you see that? Yeshua at uh, Abraham, suddenly, right the the line the, the line before it says, meaning from the beginning of time, they were there from the beginning of time, and they were always idolaters. Well, Yeshua said, you see, there's a cutoff. There's the old world, and there's the new world. The old world is the Abraham Ahar. It's over there. We left it behind. And Abraham, Abraham, that's the new world. The new world is called Eretz Kinaan. Uh, uh, what Eretz Kinaan? Our beds are over. That's the history of the Jewish people. That a special group was created by Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. But they were all, even though, even though uh, the Pesach says, Yeshua says, and you had many offspring. What he means is that you had a promise for the many offspring. And what happened was, <coughs> what happened was that they are now alone. They got rid of Ishmael, they got rid of Esau, they came down in a kind of a pure form of the family to Eretz Kenaan. So that point of Yaakov and Avi could be the end of Jewish history or some kind of start of Jewish history. So what does it say? What does it say in the continuation? Baruch Shomer Haftachato Li Israel. This is what we understand. Baruch Shomer Haftachato Li Israel. God fulfilled or watched his promise, right? That's the thing that B'nai Yisrael had to agree about in order to be worthy of Yitziat Mitzrayim. And we call that bitachon. Bitachon doesn't mean either national security 
or what from people call bitachon. It doesn't mean either of those things. Bitachon means that if God promises, that God will keep his promise irrespective of what it may seem to us at the moment. And we've had many difficult moments in Jewish history. This is the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. We've had many difficult moments. The Jews in Mitzrayim had an extremely difficult time, extremely <coughs> and yet when the time came to follow Moshe Rabbeinu they followed him they followed him because they knew that the promise was intact and just as they had increased in number tremendously in Mitzrayim they knew that they would be the inheritors of Eretz Kenan because that was the promise and therefore, leaving Mitzrayim to go to Eretz was the sanest thing that they could imagine at the time. So they became Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael was the nation that had absolute faith in the double promise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, first to Avram, then to Yitzvah, then to Yaakov, and then through Moshe Rabbeinu to them. And the double promise was that they would be, they would multiply, there would be many, they would become a great nation, numerically, and also they would inherit, they would inherit Eretz, Eretz Canaan. And in spite of the fact, in spite of the fact that in history, the Jews have been promised, have been punished, uh, 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 seriously promised, punished for a variety of transgression, of transgressions, I don't even include modern Jewish history, where it's not clear what the transgression was <coughs> the Jews have been promised but they hung on to that bitachon, to that belief that God will, will keep the promise and, uh, and if, if you are so inclined you could say that God has kept, is keeping the promise which doesn't again mean that if we don't watch our backs, that uh, everything will be torn asunder. No, doesn't mean that. But I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing against the Satnaro to say that it would seem that God is uh, allowing us to think that the promise is being kept today. Even though there are confusing aspects about it, but so what? There are confusing aspects about most things. Okay, so that's uh, uh, just. I mean, again, the Yaakov who went up Yerdu Mitzrayim, Baruch Shomer Aftachol Arata Gadol Yisrael Baruch Hu. That's why we say that line. Shakadish Baruch Hu Chishevet Akets. Gadish Baruch Hu determined when the end of that slavery in Mitzrayim would be. La Sot Kemashamal La Avraham Avinu to fulfill the promise that was given to Avram Avinu in the covenant Brit Benabatarim, you know the pieces. And God said to Avram, You will know that you know that your children will be slaves for what do you mean you know? What exactly does Avram Avinu know? I think that what Avram Avinu knows is that it's the right thing. It's the good thing. It's what they need. It's what is going to make Am Yisrael into Am Yisrael. It's going to make them into something special, not something regular. So that the people that is going to be able to justify 
the creation of the world. Just like Noah at one point in time. Right, Noah? Noah said, Noah Hashem. The whole world was worth it to have Noah. And the world continued to exist. I mean, everybody was a flood. Everybody was died, but Noah continued to live. Noah Matzachein. Right? The, the Rav Nachman Abrazov says in the first Torah, in the Lukutei Moran, the first Torah, he says, Chein v'chashifut. That that Chein was inherited by Am Yisrael. And that Chein means that when God looks upon Noah, or when God looks upon Am Yisrael, the result is positive. The result is good. Right? That's Chein, according to, <coughs> according to Rav Nachman. So, you know that it has nothing to do with an Aveira. It's not because they're being punished. It's not because they did something wrong. They're regular. They're regular people. Regular people with tendencies about Azora. And you know that sons of Yaakov, some of them were better than others of them. They were regular. Regular. What did they need 400 years of slavery in Mitzrayim? What were they being punished for exactly? So the Prophet says nothing. Nothing at all. But they have to go through this. It's also a Maharal position. But they have to do this. You have to go through this uh, 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 slavery. Because that's going to make you into what you're supposed to be. And they will be enslaved. And they will be oppressed 400 years. And, and the nation, the Egyptians, will also be punished for doing, with uh, all the Rishonim say, with uh, great enthusiasm, right? They enslaved the Jews, okay. But they were enthusiastic about it. That's not okay. So that's what... And then they go out and that's what Nachman says. That's Chain. Chain means, what is Rechush? What is Rechush? Gadol. What does it do? Yeah, stop it. What does it do for me? <coughs> Everybody looks at me. You know, they look at me if I have the biggest house, if I have, the, if I have my own plane, ah. if I have, you know, my own uh, cars and drivers. And it, so I mean, it's a, it, it, those people actually think that if you have stuff, you're cut of different cloth. There's something different about you, you know. Well, the only thing different about you is you pay a lot more money for your suits. Besides that, you might be exactly the same. <coughs> so that's Rechush Gadol. Rechush Gadol means you're not going to be running away. You're not going to be running away from the tribe. People are going to say, ah, you know, they snuck out. They got through a hole in the fence. They... Uh, they fooled Paro. I didn't say that. Rishushka Dol. I mean, you know, Rishushka Dol means you show it off. You don't hide it. You don't keep people from So here the Egyptians are giving all their stuff to the Jews. The Jews are like, you know, carrying on their heads, on their backs, on their horses, on their camels, on their, and, and they march themselves out of Egypt. Rishushka Dol. That's what Rav Nachman Abrazov says. Chain. Chain v'chashivut. That's the, the, the words that the Rav Nachman uses. You, as they say in Yeshivish, you become Choshev. <laughs> Choshev means, Choshev means you get dressed in a certain way. People look at you. You know, 
You get a Hamburg, get a warm coat with buttons on the back. You know, so people look at you. Who is that guy? You know, somebody else walks into the room. They say, "Oh, another one." He walks in the room. You say, "Who's he? Who's he?" Because you know, that's that's how we are. That's that's how we are. <coughs> so yet, Zubir Chushkadol. That has to do with the relationship between Am Yisrael and the nations of the world. That they'll all see us. That's what a Kaddish Baruch would say. What's the question of money? If there was, I mean, well, they're going out to the desert. They've been in the desert for forty years. I mean, there aren't that many, you know, machines you can put in a quarter and get a uh, diet coke. I mean, you don't need money in the desert. You're happy with what you get. Actually, it wasn't so bad, but uh, so that's what it says. Yetsu berchush berchush gadol. So you see that Bnei Yisrael changed in Mitzrayim according to story number two and they became the people who were opposed to idolatry in a very profound in a very profound way (coughs) they recognized first the fact that they came from an idolatrous world and they understood that they had left that world and were now in in the world of non-idolatry Yes, there are a few glitches here and there. We said, uh, mentioned about uh, the Egel Azahar. But however you want to explain that, the Jews are not the same according to the story that I tell in Yitziat Mitzrayim. The stories are, the stories are not the same. <coughs> so it turns out that the main story, the main story in uh, Yitziat Mitzrayim is the story of the transformation of Am Yisrael into the worthy people, the people worthy of the Torah, of carrying the banner of God in the world. Now, if you go back to the first story, there are a few more things that uh, that we have to say. Avadim ayinu l'parav Mitzrayim. Remember where it is on the page? God acted with force, with strength, in order to show us that God is in control of the world all over, that's a kind of a vestige of idolatry that had to be undone and it was undone at that time and you can see why both stories are being told because they complement each other they're really about the same topic they're about the topic of creating Am Yisrael and and, and, uh, uh, kind of getting them away from any thoughts of idolatry (coughs) Then you have the sentence, second sentence. If God had not taken our fathers out of Mitzrayim, so again, if God had not taken us out of Mitzrayim, what does that mean? If we had not gone out of Mitzrayim with this awareness that God was doing it. It's not that Moshe Rabbeinu, remember Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to be, didn't want the job at first. Because he didn't want people to think that he did it. That he took them out of Mitzrayim. He wanted to make sure that everybody would know that it was God who took them out of Mitzrayim. How are they going to know that God took them out of Mitzrayim? How are they going to know? Only if God appears to them. The Yad Chazakah was thrown into Yah with a strong right arm. Then they know that God took them out of Mitzrayim. So that you needed the Nisim Niflaot. So if you look at the Rambam, Hilchot Chametzu Matzah Perik Zion, look at the Rambam. Perik Zion Halacha Aleph, that the Mitzvah of Sipur, Yitziat Mitzrayim, 
is lesaper nisim v'niflaot. Now you all know that the Rambam was not a big fan of nisim v'niflaot. The Rambam was not a nisim v'niflaot man. He thought that uh, he thought that the world runs as God wanted the world to run. And you can't think that God is that every time you know the Rambam says in the in the Morin every time that Zayit steps on a cockroach, that it's because God wanted the cockroach to be dead. I'll say it again. <laughs> the Rambam says that every time Zayit, you know, Zayit is like John Doe for the Arabs, right? Zayit, a regular guy. <coughs> steps on a cockroach. You know the cockroaches? You're not from New York? <laughs> so, so every time, every time Zion steps on a cockroach and kills it, he, he, Zion thought it was an accident. He didn't do it on purpose. You can't say that God had it in for that cockroach. Right? That would be kind of silly. So the Rambam, that was the Rambam's opinion. That's what the Rambam says. He says, yeah, the, the God runs the world because I don't. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean if you cross the street on the red, on the red every single time, that nothing's going to happen unless God wants it to happen. That's not true. That's according to the Rambam. I must say it's not true, or it is true. That I don't know if it's not true according to the Rambam. <coughs> so, so again, he says, if God had not taken us out of Mitzrayim, what does that mean? It doesn't mean God taken us out. Of course God took us out of Mitzrayim. But if God had not showed himself, shown himself to us, so to speak, be it Siat Mitzrayim, we would still be Meshua Badin to Paro. We would still be slave. Meaning, we would have the same ideas and the same attitude, the same. It wouldn't matter where we were. We would be just a bunch of idolaters, a bunch of, of people who didn't have any inner strength. We didn't understand, we didn't understand who we were. We are people who would not have understood who we were. Then it says, then it says again, Avilu kulanu chachamim, kulanu nebronim, kulanu shkenim, kulanu yodim et Torah. Even if we're all, the third halacha, it's also in the Mishnah. It's also in the Mishnah Pesachim. Afilu, afilu, even if, one second, kulanu chachamim, if we're all really smart, kulanu nebronim, very profound. Kulanu shkenim, we're all elders, right? We have the, the voice of authority. Kulanu yodim et Torah. We know the Torah. Mitzvah leinu saper b'yitziat Mitzrayim. We have this mitzvah every year to tell the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. In other words, there was a havamina. There was a havamina. We shouldn't tell the story. What's the havamina? We shouldn't tell the story. You know from the continuation of the Agdara. What's the havamina? Because we say zecher liyitziat Mitzrayim over and over and over again. When do we say Zechi Yitzhak Mitzrayim? Kriyat Shema. Right, we say Kriyat Shema in the morning and the evening. And even though you know, the, the Haggadah asked that question, how can we say in the evening? Okay, but we do say Zechi Yitzhak Mitzrayim every morning and every evening. So that means that what was the question? So what was the question? So somebody comes along and says, look, I'm, a, I'm pretty smart. I know about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's enough for me to say Zechi Yitzhak Mitzrayim. I don't to do the mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to tell the story, right? So, I say, So that includes the story. The whole story is in those three words. Why do I have to also tell the story? Why do I have the story? So the, the, the Haggadah says, based on the Mishnah, Mitzvah aleinu l'saper b'yitzhah mitzvah. We tell the story anyway. 
Because the insights about the story are personal. They're not traditional. So when you think about it, you have to think about what it means to be an idolater, what it means to be taken out of the shrine, what it means to be aware of God's power and strength and promise, etc. All the things that we talked about and more. And it can only be reflected upon in a very personal way. It's not a story. It's not a story that's fixed in stone. It's not the way it is. It's the way you tell it. Everything is connected to the way you tell it. And the more you are a Chacham, the more you are a Nabon, the more you are Yodaya at the Torah, the more you'll be able to tell the story. It's not that the, the fact that you remember what you said last year will inhibit you from telling the story this year. It's the opposite. The opposite is it's your story. It's not the story of, uh, of anybody else. Right? Kol Hamar and if you want to really do a good job, then be marbe. Talk more and talk more. Why? What's there to talk more about? You know, not every. Uh, Rav was the Rav in Yerushalayim. <coughs> one of the Rav, one of the great Rabbanim in Yerushalayim. So he used to uh, he used to come home on the night from shul, and uh, he would uh, make uh, kiddush. And do the Haggadah in ten minutes, lie down and sleep, lie down and go to sleep. But he said, he's ex- he said he's an exception to the rule because people come and ask him shyness. And when you drink four cups of wine, you're like in the parish of Shmini. You become Shtuyeyayin. You have to, you can't speak the Torah, you can't speak responsibly about the Torah. So somebody comes and says to him, what should I do, Rabbi? He can't answer it. So he used to make the Seder very fast. He used to lie down, go to sleep, and get up, because sleep is a cure for, for drunkenness, for drinking the wine. He would get up, <coughs> and people would come and ask him shyness, but he was an exception. He was the only one. The only one who did that. Everybody else followed the dictate in the Mishnah. Right? What does mean? That the story is very elastic. Because the story is not only about what happened, it's also about my reflections on what happened. It's, it's, it, what does it mean to me? I mean, it's my story. It's not just the story. It's not just the Manashevit story. It's, it's my story. The way I see it, the way I understand it. Do I understand that? That's why the Tanaim, if you look at the end with this, we'll finish with today. It says, uh, no, it does, I, I don't have it here, but you know the Tanaim had this machloket about how many miracles there were in Yisiyat Mitzrayim, which is an interesting machloket because, after all, it says ten. Why would anybody want to argue with that? Well, we come out, there could, there could have been 250 miracles. It was when you look at something, when you look at something very closely, oh, I'll tell you what it says at the end of the Parish of Shemini. The end of Parsha Shmini is a pasuk and the Hashem, Hashem, Eveti etchem Eretz Mitzrayim, not Yehudzeti etchem. Somebody have a chumash? Amale. I'm sorry, you're right, Miriam. I have to always bring a family member to straighten me out on this. It says Amale etchem Eretz Mitzrayim after after the parsha about the animals. 
the kosher ones, the non-kosher ones, last week's parasha, Shemini. It says, Zani Hashem ha-ma'alet chameres mitzray. So Rashi says, what's ha-ma'alet chameres mitzray? After all, it always says, ha-motziet chameres mitzray. Horizontal. We went out of mitzrayim horizontally. Why does the, this pasuk say, ha-ma'alet chameres mitzray? So the answer that Rashi gives, Rashi quotes a medrash, he says, the answer that Rashi gives is that uh, that if we had only received directives about what animals to eat and what not to eat, we would have been, we would have felt a superior, a superior spiritual <coughs> position. And that Hamalet Chameretz Mitzrayim means we got mitzvahs. Even one mitzvah gets us out of Mitzrayim. And that idea is the root of Dayenu, which is what we started with today. Right? Dayenu, you sing Dayenu. Ilu, this, but not that. Ilu, this, but not that. Ilu, even, it says in Dayenu, Kervanu Lifnei Har Sinai. What's the continuation? Now, does that make any sense? How can anybody say that? So the answer is. Har Sinai was truly a spiritual experience. I mean, you were there. God was there. Even before anything happened. It was, it, it was transformative. So if you look very... That's what Dayenus is. is Dayenus says, if you look really closely, you'll see more miracles. You'll see more, uh, more events taking place. You'll see <coughs> that the story is infinitely richer than you thought it was. But that has to come out of you. But you can't wait for somebody to write the book and then put the book on the table, you know, and have everybody look at it. You have to be able to tell the story as you see it. Because it is, after all, not about what happened, but it's about how we are trans- able to transform ourselves into the people of Yitziat Mitzrayim, which doesn't mean, obviously that we have to be sad or unhappy or feel enslaved. I mean, most people, you know, set a very nice table on, on, uh, on Pesach. You imagine some, some people would come from Mitzrayim, some Jews would wander in from Mitzrayim, they'd see the setup we have at home, and they say, what is this? Is it a wedding? No, we're like Yitzhak Mitzrayim, you know, we're with you, we're with you. Right? So there would be a kind of a disconnect, you know, the, who are you and who are you? But, but, but okay, because the story really has those different aspects to it. It has this unhappy side that we were slaves in Mitzrayim and we suffered, and has the happy side that we got out of Mitzrayim in a transformative manner, that we became who we were supposed to be, which ultimately enabled us to receive the Torah. Okay, we'll continue the Haggadah next week. Have a good Shabbat.